beat somebody else's brains in, great. I don't know. But he was, a, he was very good at his sport of boxing. But he was notoriously arrogant. And he was famous for his statements that demonstrated his arrogance. He said things like this. He said, I'm young, I'm handsome, I'm fast, I can't possibly be beat, was his take on his ability. He said, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. He said, even if you dream of beating me, you'd better wake up and apologize. He was arrogant. He was cocky. He said, bragging is when a person does something and can't, or when a person says something and can't do it. He says, I do what I say. So it's not bragging, he said. He said, I'm the greatest. He said, I said that even before I knew I was. Just an arrogant, arrogant person. He said, I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. Uh, he said, I should be a postage stamp. He said, that's the only way I'll ever get licked, if he was a postage stamp. He was, he was very cocky and proud. The story goes about Muhammad Ali is that he was boarding an airplane one time. And as the stewardess walked by, as he sat down in his seat, she noticed that his seatbelt wasn't fastened. And she said, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle your safety belt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the stewardess promptly replied, Superman don't need no airplane. You better buckle your seatbelt. He was an arrogant, cocky person. Arrogance is all around us, isn't it, in the world? We experience it in the business world frequently. We experience it in our social interactions. We see it in the media. We see pride and arrogance all around us. Yet we need to see pride and arrogance the way that God sees it. In our reading that Mark just read for us of the seven things that are abomination to God, the first one there is a proud look. And look at all the other things that we would put in that, uh, see in that list that we would paint up as really, really <laughs> bad things. Hands that shed innocent blood, a lying tongue, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a liar, all those things, a proud look is right there in the mix. God it cannot stand these things. They're an abomination to him. A proud look, arrogance is an abomination to God. A couple chapters later in Proverbs, in chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Well, if we're going to be like God, we're going to hate these things as well. And the proverb writer here, Solomon, says that he hates this proud look. He hates arrogance. I want to propose to you this morning that pride and arrogance can be in our lives. We need to be aware of that. We know that God hates it, but do we see it in our lives? It's possible that it's in our lives today and we need to get rid of it. Pride and arrogance are sins that sort of grow on you. They happen over time. It's like the frog that doesn't know he's being boiled in the pot that is getting warmer and warmer and warmer. Pride and arrogance can grow in our lives and develop in such a way over time that we don't see them. And we just stop and ask ourselves, are we proud? This morning, I want to look at how arrogance can express itself in the lives of Christians how Christians express their arrogance many times. The scriptures are clear that pride and arrogance is obnoxious to God and he can't stand it. 
And the scriptures are equally clear in the fact that Christians are not immune to arrogance. In fact, the scriptures tell us specific ways in which arrogance can express itself in the lives of Christians in ways that the world isn't tempted to express the arrogance. Arrogance has specific ways that it shows up in the lives of Christians. And I want to look at that with you this morning. How, does, how do Christians express their arrogance? First off, they express their arrogance by failing to submit. You know, we all have opinions and desires. And we think the things that we think, the opinions that we have, the desires that we have are the best. And when our likes and our opinions and our desires conflict with another person, then we're confronted with the challenge. Am I going to submit my will, my desire, my preference to the other person? It happens in the family. It happens in the family. Will I submit what I want to the needs of my spouse? We fail in that, don't we? Will I submit to the needs of what my children need? We fail in that many times. What about how we deal with others? Do we consider their desires and their needs above our own? Are we willing to submit to them? How about as we deal with each other in the church? We have opinions about what needs to be done. We have desires of what, what we would like to happen. Are we willing to submit to others? It's difficult to submit. But the scriptures are clear that we have to. Proverbs, or Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, arrogance. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You see that when we fail to submit, we're really being arrogant and conceited. What we're saying is my desires, my needs, my likes, my opinions are better than yours and you better get in line with me because I'm better. See how that's arrogance? When we fail to submit, it demonstrates our arrogance. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you see when I bow up, and when I demand that my needs be first, my opinions be granted, and my likes and uh, think-sos are the most important, I'm being arrogant. I've got to be submissive. Letting someone else have their own way is difficult. It's difficult for all of us because we know what we want. We know what our opinions are. We know what our judgment is. And we have all of those opinions and those desires and those judgments for a reason because we think they're best. I have opinions and I think they're better than yours. Because, after all, my opinions are founded on excellent reason and extensive research and thoughtful planning. And I've coupled that with years of experience of making the right decision. I've analyzed all the options. I've done my research. 
And I've watched a couple YouTube videos on it, by the way. And I'm, now I'm the expert. And you ought to line up with my opinion. Because it's way up here. And your opinion, frankly, is down here. When I don't submit, I'm going to tell you, I'm expressing arrogance. And we need to be careful about that. The Bible is clear that God hates arrogance. We've got to make sure it's not in our lives. We express it by failing to submit. We also express it when we think that we can be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time. That is arrogance. You know, the world has a big pull on us. There are a lot of attractions to be like the world. It's very attractive. It's attractive to us if we could have the same priorities as the world. If we could act like the world in a lot of ways. If we could enjoy the same fleshly pleasures of the world. If we could just maybe fit in with the world. There are a lot of pools and attractions to be like the world, to be friends with the world. It's very clear. Sometimes, sometimes, Christians will completely sell out. They'll completely just ditch their faith and just go hog wild and just go be exactly like the world. There's times when that happens. I want to tell you, though, maybe more frequently what happens is Christians don't completely sell out, but they try to straddle the fence. They try to be like the world in some areas, but maintain their faith in other areas and straddle the fence. One foot with the world, one foot with God. Try and do it both. Compromise. Compromise is the name of the game for some. Don't want to be too extreme in our faith. Don't want to be completely dedicated. We try to not take a hard stand. We try to not make any difficult sacrifices. We just sort of take the middle of the road. Compromise. Be a friend of the world and a friend of God. But the scriptures are clear you can't do that. And the scriptures are clear that when you think you can't, when you think you can be cozied up to the world and be right with God, when you think you can handle it, that it won't bother you, that you can do that, the Scriptures say that that's arrogance. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you see this idea that thinking you can do both, that you can live right with God and still be cozied up to the world and be as much like them as you can? Do you see how that's arrogance? Because God says you can't do it. Yet Christians think, well, it'll be all right. I'm different. I can handle this. I can be a friend with the world and still be all right with God. God says, no, you can't. God says you can't handle it. God says you will fall. You can't be a friend to both. And when we try, when we try to be a friend of the world and a friend of God, I want to tell you, we're showing that we're arrogant, that we think we're better than what God said. God says you can't do both. There's another way that Christians express their arrogance, and we see this as well. When we venture into speculative doctrines, I want to tell you we're showing our arrogance. When we study the Bible and we talk with others, we're going to encounter ideas that we haven't considered before. And there's nothing wrong with considering ideas that we haven't considered before. 
If we were to say you couldn't consider anything different than what you understand and believe now, then we would say you've got it perfectly right. And I don't think anybody are going to sign up to that, that, hey, we're perfectly right in our understanding. We're always open to the idea that, that we could be wrong. And we would like someone to show us if we are. And so for us to be open to that, we've got to consider some, some things that we don't believe currently. But I want to tell you, the temptation as we're talking with others many times is get, to get drawn into speculative doctrine. Doctrine that's speculative in nature. Doctrine that exalts God, uh, man's thinking above what is revealed in God's Word. This kind of speculative idea and thinking about the Bible where we start to elevate our thinking above what God has revealed shows arrogance. There are lots of doctrines that venture into areas that God hasn't revealed Himself in. Venture into things that God hasn't told us about, and there are a lot of false doctrines that get spun up from that. And people run wild with these doctrines that are in areas that God hasn't revealed His will in. There are doctrines that are based on human opinions and think-sos rather than on God's Word. Doctrines that are, quite frankly, worthless, that people are developing and following and going after. With these speculative doctrines, you would think that they originate from those who are new in the faith. But many times they don't. They come from folks who should know better. Folks who get drawn into this line of thinking because they begin to think that their understanding is somehow enlightened. And that their minds are broad and they can think about these things that God hasn't revealed to us and and things about their own human judgment and thinking, and they start to follow these ideas, and they go away from the faith. It's arrogant. It's arrogant at its core. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Those who go into these speculative doctrines that elevate man's thinking above God's are proud. We need to be aware of that. I've been asked in the past to be a part of, of groups that would study these type of speculative things. That, are, that we want this group to be a group of men who are very mature in the faith to get over here in these doctrines that are speculative. And things that are not clearly written in the scriptures. When we do that, I want to tell you, we're very arrogant. And our arrogance can be expressed. We need to be careful about venturing into these speculative doctrines. We need to stay with what God has said in His Word. and We need to make sure that we stay there. I'll tell you another way that Christians express their arrogance. Christians express their arrogance by treating sinners with contempt. You know, I think a lot of times we look down our noses at sinners. Maybe someone comes forward, it comes out that someone's been engaged in some type of sin. And it is invariable that some Christian will stand off in the corner and say, how in the world could he do that? How could she get involved in that sin? 
How in the world could they do that? Don't they see how terrible that is? Don't they see how that's just ruining their lives and what it's doing to them? How could they do that? How could that person be involved in that sin? That's just terrible. How could they do that? What's implied is, why don't they live like me? Why are they doing that? Why don't they live like me? They need to get their lives straight like I did. They need to get right like I am. I'll tell you, we express arrogance when we do that. Because when we do, when we talk like that, we're acting like we're somehow better than others. Yet the scriptures are very clear that none of us deserve our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I'll tell you, we were all in that boat at one time, weren't we? And we were saved by God's grace, by our obedience to His plan of reconciliation that He made available to us. But I'll tell you, without His grace, we'd all be in that boat again, wouldn't we? The Scriptures are very clear. We need to be careful about our arrogance. When we stand back and we say, well, how could he or she do that? I want to tell you, I know exactly how he or she could do that. Because I've done that, and you've done that. They bought the lie the devil sold them. And they went down that path, the same path that we've gone down. We need to be careful that we don't get arrogant as a result of the salvation that God has given us. We're no better than the worst sinner. We've all committed sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Don't be arrogant enough to believe that you're better. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul didn't think he was better than anyone else. Let's not express that arrogance. Let's not treat sinners with contempt. But on the other end of that spectrum, I want to tell you there's something else that can demonstrate arrogance, an arrogance that we see in the world around us today among Christians, and that is the arrogance of tolerating sin. Swing the other way. Instead of not holding folks in contempt, there are some folks who tolerate sin and say it's great. They don't tolerate it necessarily in their lives but they tolerate it in the lives of others. And they won't condemn sin. Rather than condemning it, they embrace it. They see sin in the lives of others, sin that needs to be corrected, sin that ought to be addressed, and instead of addressing it, they just go along with it and embrace it and act like everything's okay. In fact, they've envisioned themselves somehow superior because they're able to tolerate sin. Now, maybe in the past... Maybe in the past they would have violently opposed sin, and when they saw it in the lives of others, they would have spoken up and been vocal about it, but now they've matured, and now they're more uh, enlightened, and they understand it's not that big a deal anymore, and they'll embrace it. Maybe you think about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and how years ago we would have stood against that, but now we can embrace it. Well, now we, just, we, we understand more. We're more enlightened. We embrace sin now. We tolerate it. When we do, I want to tell you that we're being very arrogant. Folks express that arrogance by saying, well, only the closed-minded, uneducated people condemn sin. Loving people, 
loving people, let's be up here, we tolerate sin. We embrace it. You people down here who condemn sin, well, there's something wrong with you, but I'm better than that now. That seems to have been the attitude at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, I have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done so this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Notice this, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? There was this man engaged in this terrible immorality, and they were tolerating that. They were going along with it. And not only were they going along with it, they were puffed up. Seems like they were pretty proud of the fact that they could tolerate this immorality. That they were somehow big enough or enlightened enough that they could just go along with it. And Paul says, your glorying is not good. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. When we embrace sin, when we tolerate sin, and we think that we're somehow better because we do that, that's arrogance. We've got to be careful about that. To illustrate that point, let me go to former President Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter said this. He says, when we go to the Bible, we should keep in mind that the basic principles of the Bible are taught by God, but written down by human beings deprived of modern-day knowledge. So there is some fallibility in the writings of the Bible, but the basic principles are applicable to my life, and I don't find any conflict among them. Do you see what Jimmy Carter's saying? He's saying, now, we're enlightened. The Bible says some things, but we know better now. Now, the Bible may say certain things are sinful, but we know better now. We're enlightened. He went on to say, Homosexuality was well known in the ancient world well before Christ was born, and Jesus never said a word about homosexuality and all his teachings about multiple things. He never said that gay people should be condemned. I personally think it's very fine for gay people to be married in civil ceremonies. Do you see that? Now, it's no shock to me that he would say that after that first statement, that these people in the Bible weren't unenlightened. And now in modern times, we know better. Well, then, of course, we can tolerate these sins that the Bible says are sinful. We're going to encounter this all around us. We're going to encounter this attitude among Christians when we take a firm stance against sin. Christians, members of the Lord's church, are going to attack us. They're going to attack us when we say that sin is wrong and we can't stand for it. One of the ways they're going to attack us is telling us, well, we're not on the same plane as them. Maybe someday, when you mature and you get in as enlightened as me, you'll understand that we shouldn't be taking a stand against sin. That's what people are going to say, even members of the church. It's arrogant, I'm going to tell you, when we tolerate sin. It's also an expression of our arrogance when we are divisive. 
You know, there are some Christians, for whatever reason, they like to be divisive. They want to have people on their side, and they want to have people that are against them. They want to be divisive. Maybe it's because they want to exclude others. Maybe it's because they want the approval of those who are around them. But for whatever reason, there are Christians who like to be divisive. They like to stir things up. And it is displayed maybe in, by the creation of cliques in the church where some people are in, some people are out. Maybe it's displayed by creating factions in the church. Maybe it's displayed by going so far as splitting the church. There are people who like to be divisive. And I want to tell you, if you want to be divisive, it can be very thrilling. It can be exciting to be divisive. You get to play the part of the politician. You try and get people on your side. You try to win their favor. You can flatter and try and appeal to people's uh, 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 emotions and try and flatter them, tell the person you're trying to win over how wonderful they are, how special you think they are. And then while you have them on your side, you can begin to cast doubt about others in the congregation and try to exclude them and get others against them. And then you get to feel the wonderful feeling of having people on your side. People who are willing to isolate themselves from others so that they can stand with you and they can be close to you. I want to tell you, when we act that way, it is rooted in arrogance. That's what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 6. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You see that when we create these factions, we create these groups, when we try to be divisive, it's rooted in arrogance. You're no better than anyone else. No one's better than anyone else. Don't allow arrogance to cause you to be divisive. Finally, this morning, I want to propose to you that when we act without authority, that that decision is rooted in arrogance. We must have authority for all that we do. It's clearly taught in the scriptures. Failure to have authority for what we do is wrong for that reason alone, that we have to have authority for all that we do. But I want to tell you that acting without authority is also wrong because it displays an incredible arrogance. The type of arrogance that was illustrated by Jimmy Carter's statement that we know better now than the Bible. Like the Presbyterian pastor that I interviewed several years ago that I've told you about, who was bold enough to claim that he knew more about human sexuality than Jesus did now, because we are now enlightened. We don't have to have authority from God anymore. We know how we ought to act. We can make up our own minds. We can act outside of Bible authority. We can do so by making statements that somehow justify it. Well, I think, or it seems to me, or it makes sense to me, or I don't see anything wrong with it. All of these statements illustrate gross arrogance, don't they? 
when we don't follow what God said to do, when we think we can make up our own minds, when we can determine right and wrong because it seems okay to me, that is terrible arrogance. And don't think that God doesn't see it. In, first, in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. The head is the one who gets to make the rules. Those who are arrogant don't follow the head. Those who are arrogant act without authority. Don't be puffed up. Don't be arrogant. Act only with God's authority. Christians exhibit their arrogance and express their arrogance by failing to be submissive by thinking that we can be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time, by venturing into speculative doctrines, by treating sinners with contempt, by tolerating sin, by being divisive, and by acting without authority. Christians are not immune to arrogance. All of the ways that arrogance can express itself that we've looked at today are dangers for Christians. And God feels the same way about arrogance in our lives as he does about arrogance in the lives of people in the world. Do you understand that? That God is just as repulsed by arrogance in the lives of Christians as he is of anyone else in the world. We need to make sure that we get it out of our lives. That we submit to him in every aspect of our lives. How are you doing on that this morning? If you're here and you're not living like you should, could we help you? And if we can, will you let us know while we stand and sing?